0: Question today, uh, title of which is "Can We Be Good Without God?" And uh, most of the talk is going to be spent unpacking that question because it's not entirely clear what we're asking and even why we're asking it. But hopefully, in 25 minutes, it will be. Uh, when my friend uh, Paul Ruscara will be here too. Um, Paul, just so I will, I'm going to do an interview with Paul after. But we're doing it. We're we're dwelling in the realm of what we call ethics today, whether that means anything to you at all, Um, and I I realised in the week that my good friend Paul, who's doing a a PhD in moral philosophy uh, in Florida, uh, under one of the most well-known moral philosophers in the world at the moment, has just moved to Oxford, so I thought it'd be nice to get him here. And he is—it's uh, uh, been nice to Paul. He's, he's struggled across <laughs> this morning from some bus issues, and then apparently an hour's drive from the bus station, which is not usually what happens. So anyway, um, but he'll, we'll be, he will—he will be with us, and we'll, he'll help us with the questions. So basically, I'll do the talk, pose loads of questions for you lot, and then I'm going to hand it to Paul to answer all those questions without having heard the talk. It's going to be—it's going to be. It's gonna be <laughs> magic. Okay, my foundational assumption in this talk is this, that generally most of us want to be good. And by that, I mean we want to be good people. Now, obviously, if we define good in a sort of weak, light, sentimental, pat on the head, you're a good girl, aren't you, sort of way, that's not true. We don't want to be that sort of good. But for most of us, I guess we'd have a vision of goodness that we would aspire to and would uh, want definitely to come into other people's assessment of us, if nothing else. And I think if we were to define that very, very briefly, we should spend a whole talk just doing that. But I think for most people in the Western world, they would probably rest on, what do you mean by being good on uh, something to do with being kind, probably? And actually, wherever you're at um, as regards Christian faith or what you think of the person of Jesus, Jesus' statement, what people call his golden rule love your neighbor, seems to be reasonably etched into the, the psyche, of particularly of the Western world. And I've not met many people who would say, yeah, that's a load of rubbish, let's do something else. It's to you no, know, love your neighbor, that's good. Let's have that as the kind of benchmark. And I think most people are going to go for that sort of thing. And you might think this is all very speculative. You're saying people probably want to be this, do they? Is that right? Well, I think I can kind of uh, show that that's tr- true of you guys here in that I would imagine that you want to be that kind of person. I can show it because if someone comes up to you and says, you're really unkind and unloving, I don't think many of us are going to say, well, thank you very much. It's very kind of you. Okay, we're not going to say that uh, sort of thing. I think that's fair that uh, we're all aspiring in that sort of direction. But at the same time, as everyone's aspirations seem to be in the same sort of direction good, kind, compassionate there is a general feeling that corporately we are not living up to that sort of thing. And uh, that would be the suggestion would be individually we're not doing that in one way or another as well. And then, now within that unloving behavior, there would be the huge transgressions in that regard the mass shootings, uh, terrorism, war and those obviously are particularly unkind and unloving. However, I think when most people complain about the moral tone of society, they're usually not talking about those things. I think when Black Eyed Peas sung all those years ago, where is the love, they weren't thinking primarily of wars. They were thinking, and most would be the same, of, of the small, minor misdemeanors that are much uh, more common, if much less harmful in the short term, but that cumulatively create chaos. Things, Small acts of thoughtlessness, greed, and anger. and Collectively, we would realise we're not really living up to our aspirations here. So why then this gap between who we all want to be and who we all actually seem to be? Well, the first thing I think to say on this is I think we've significantly underestimated uh, what it costs us to be good, to be good people, to be loving, to be kind. I was preparing a talk on this about a year and a half ago, I think, and I, I, as I normally do, as you can see from the, the slides, I usually just go on Google Images with keywords and just see what comes up. And went with kindness. I put kindness into Google Images, and the meme that the main kind of picture that came up for kindness, was a phrase. It was a meme, and it just said, kindness costs nothing. That's what it said. So I thought it was interesting. So I came back this time, I thought, have people's views on kindness changed? Well, they've become more specific, because I ended up with this one here. It costs, it's got an actual value, which I think is great. It costs 0.00 dollars to be a decent human being. Uh, just to translate that, um, this is tricky. I know on a, a rainy morning, but 0.00 dollars, according to the currency exchange, is no pounds either. Okay, just got that for you, for English. People here, which is most of us. Okay, Uh, it costs nothing to be a decent human being. And here I think is the basic problem that we have because this is false, I would say. Almost entirely false. Now it's true that there are some acts of, let's call them kindness, that would be reasonably easy, but they're not really kindness. It's more like courtesy or good manners. So can I smile at someone rather than ignoring them? Yes, of course, that costs you virtually nothing, really. But that's not really what we're talking about here, and that's not really what we need. Okay? Kindness that's worth anything will cost something. And if it's worth anything significant, it will probably cost quite a lot. It often actually literally costs money, but like, to be kind i don 't know if you notice this. It, it has a literal a price tag on, which is not naught point dollars i'm sure uh, oxfam who will come on later would have a problem <laughs> with that i 'm going to be really generous and good to you and charitable for, and give you no money okay charitable giving, you give money, helping people in need. you give money uh, ethical shopping very big it's fascinating to hear people and i 've done this before. you kind of moan about the ethics of shopping and then you complain about how the price your groceries are at the same point. You, That doesn't make sense because to shop ethically, obviously, you're going to have to pay more. That's just how it goes. It costs us money. It costs us time to be kind and to be good and to be loving. But I think the the real cost of kindness is an emotional one, and I think it's really significant because kindness, love, and goodness in that way involves suppressing our own self-interest and sacrificing things that we'd like to have or like to do for the sake of someone else. I'll say that again. It involves uh, suppressing our own self-interest and sacrificing things that we'd like to have or like to do for someone else. And that is a massive cost. So why is there such a huge gap between our moral aspirations and our moral performance? I wonder whether it's because though we want to be good, none of us, myself included, are that keen on picking up the tab for that personal goodness. So how do we go about bridging this gap? This is the, what I want to talk about for the rest of our time. And uh, The question is, how can we be good without God? To break that down, what I'm going to be asking is, how can we be the good people we want to be, and what does God have to do with it? That is what we're going to be. Set the scene, that's where we're going to be going. And I want to rephrase the title question in three ways, looking at it from three different angles to do that. And just to be really clear, to deal with what is basically an overview of the whole topic of ethics focusing in on the Christian worldview as regards that, in 20 minutes is going to be reasonably tricky. And uh, obviously, it's not going to be very thorough, <laughs> just to be aware. In a sense, I hope this talk, if you had to leave in 20 minutes, you'd get something from it. But really, this is a platform for questions. So you will get as much out of it as you would like uh, to, really. And that, that number there, you're more than welcome to text in. And please do it as we're going along. That's, that's a good way to do it. Or you've got a piece of paper on your chairs that you can write on. And Rich's going to host. And even if people just put their hands up, We've, we've got to have about twenty minutes uh, to do that. And just, just to be, uh, just to do a, just to check something with you guys. Because of the marathon, because we start slightly late, and because, uh, because I'm, Paul's going to be doing something at the end, which he would have done at the beginning. Uh, are we okay for ten minutes after, like tw- ten past? What, twelve? Is it twelve? Is that all right? If not, I know if you have to rush off. We don't want to. Don't, don't want to be cheeky with that. But that's. We're still a little late. We're going to go to them. Okay. Cool. So let's rephrase the question in three different ways. Firstly, this: Can we become good? Can we bridge this gap without God? That's the question. Can we become good without God? There's a show on Netflix at the moment, a particular favourite in our family, called The Good Place. Has anyone ever seen this show? Put your hand up. Uh, we've got a few. few of The Good Place. Not very many. Okay, Great, great show. Uh, very funny. It's like it's like moral philosophy, the sitcom. Okay, which might not sound very appealing. It's utterly ridiculous and very funny. Okay, but... Um, but it's a, it's a very interesting show, and the basic premise is simple. And I think I can tell it to you without giving too much away. This lady, uh, Eleanor, who's on, uh, the lady there, uh, she wakes up and uh, she realizes quite quickly she's died and she's gone to the good place. Okay. And, uh, but there's a problem. There has been an administrative error, and while she may look like a little angel, she doesn't belong in the good place. She's, <laughs> she's not been a very she's not very good in this regard. They, that's their view of how you get into the good place. Um, and she's desperate not to get kicked out because she's quite enjoying it. So what she decides she needs. To do. She needs to become good really quickly, okay? And but she's she's got a plan. Uh, everyone in the good place in this program is allocated a soulmate, and her soulmate is this guy called Chidi, who is a moral philosophy professor, who's also at this point dead, obviously. But that was what his job was uh, in his life. And so she does this deal with him. and said, "Look, can I meet up with you to study all the great minds throughout history who've thought about right and wrong, and uh, then I can become better, and then no one will clock that there's been a problem, and I can stay in the good place uh, forever." And without giving too much way, um, it kind of works. You'll have to, to watch, see the kind of in that because it goes off on some very strange angles, but it kind of works. So maybe this is a good way to approach this. Why have we brought in God at all? Why can't, we just, uh, why can't we just study human thinking about right and wrong, think as clearly as we can about it, look at moral philosophy, ethics, whatever you want to call it, and that will just have the desired effect over time, the, the good place way to approach morality. Well, funny enough, a guy in 2009, uh, 2009 uh, a philosopher called Eric Schwitzgabel, tried to test out this exact theory, and he thought, I, I want to see whether people who study moral philosophy become better study moral thinking become better and he came up with all sorts of clever surveys and tests and one of them was this he um basically he checked the missing book lists from dozens of university libraries to see whether people treated the books on ethics differently to other books are you with me on on the method okay now from the last some people might guess the findings on this but he was surprised what he found out was this that books on ethics which are presumably borrowed by people studying morality okay are more likely to be stolen or just never returned than books on any other area of philosophy laughter Now, um, just to say, and this is good that Paul's not here. When I said this to Paul, Paul Paul's like, and you'll see this with Paul, he's like, I'm afraid Fitzgable's uh, methodology has been uh, not exactly watertight over the years. (laughs) And so we can't, uh, we're not going to prove here, yet. moral philosophers are worse. This will make you a worse person. But I I think it probably uh, illustrates something that we're all probably aware of. If, If you're at university right now, I'm sure you know that if you want to find a good and upright person, you go to the philosophy department. Those students, they've got halos over their head. You can leave your bike unlocked outside the philosophy department, you'll be fine. Okay, um, I'm sure we know that. And when we look through the great moral thinkers of all time, we do see something rather alarming in that none of them were anything close to paragons of virtue, however wise they might have been on, uh, in talking about morality. I'll give you uh, some of these names. I mean, must, nothing to you, but the point will still stand. Plato was in favour of eugenics. Aristotle believed women were inferior to men. Immanuel Kant and David Hume were both racist. Thomas Aquinas liked burning heretics. And Martin Heidegger was a Nazi. There we go, okay? So it seems that studying and understanding moral thinking is not quite enough. Why not? Well, I think there could be loads of reasons for this, but the one I'm most inclined to go with is that while moral thinking can potentially help us get a better knowledge regarding morality, it doesn't really help us as regards our motivation. It doesn't give us compelling reasons to to do what's good and to avoid what's wrong. Remember where we started? Lots of people say, oh, but you could just do good. You don't need a reason. Now, that's, that's nonsense. You definitely need a reason. There's a huge cost in doing what's good, huge personal cost in any truly good action, and therefore, even if you know what the right thing to do is, you need a compelling reason to, to take that cost. You're not gonna do something of personal cost to yourself otherwise, are you? But where would we find such a motivation? Well, many have suggested that perhaps God is what we need here, that the God, or maybe more specifically, religion will help us in this regard. I think religions in the popular imagination would be designed for this exact purpose. They tell you what the right and wrong things to do are, and they give you motivation to do those things. Maybe rewards for good things and punishments for bad things that might be in this life, but very specifically and particularly will be in the next life. And You have have motives to do those things, even if no one else can see what's going on, because God sees, and so therefore you have the knowledge and the motivation as well. But, and this is a talk of two sides, nothing simple here, okay? So some would say religion, really good, It fixes, this because there's moral motivation. On the other side, however, some would say completely the opposite is the case. And uh, the, the ben- any benefits of religion on morality are outweighed, and we can see this in society by act- religion making people worse people in some ways. And I, again, trying to truncate some quite complicated stuff. I think what people are on about when they say this is that... Um, Let's back up slightly. I think it's reasonably non-controversial that religious people of different religions, uh, uh, there's a kindness they exhibit and a treating of some people well that is documented and is is sometimes more than people who are non-religious. There's a number of studies done on that. However, uh, often the kindness is seen as being into your in-group rather than outside. Do you see what I mean? into your gang. I can be kind to my gang and very unkind to people outside the gang. And most people's view of morality would be, that's not good behaviour, okay, that's, that's really bad. So, extreme example, Adolf Hitler was very kind to German children. Seems to be the case across the board, if you define German in a very specific way. Does that make him a good person? No, of course not. We judge Hitler's moral performance, immoral performance, uh, more like, on how he treated those who weren't in his gang, people who were outside of his gang, and so the argument goes, religions really do a similar thing. They encourage kindness to people in the gang, in your religion, but in some cases they do that by encouraging hatred and hostility to people outside the gang who are outside of the religion. Do you see the, see the general idea? I think uh, the pictures probably say it all. We've probably seen things like that before. Um, so therefore, um, some say religion can make you a better person. Others are adamant religion is a major cause of war, prejudice, discrimination, and terrorism. So which is it? What do we do? Well, again, I'm going to kind of leave this hanging a little, and you're more than welcome to pick this up in specifics in the questions, except to say this. I think what this shows us is we have to be a little more specific than religion makes people better people or worse people. Because, let's face it, religions have some things in common, but they have some things, particularly ethically, very, very different. And so I think we've got to hone in and say, well, which religion should we do? What do specific religions do here? Now, I neither have the time nor the knowledge to be able to do a thorough exploration of every religious worldview. I could probably try, but you'd uh, get very bored, and I'd probably be wrong on most stuff, so I won't do that. Um, I can't really speak about other religions, but I can talk about the faith that I have, uh, Christianity. And when I look at the founder of Christianity and Christianity's fundamental beliefs, I'd argue that whatever our fears for religion generally would be, we can see that Christianity is potentially an excellent foundation for a moral life in the fullest sense of the word. So let's move on to our second question then. Tweet the question a bit more. Can we be good without the Christian God? Let's hone in on Christianity uh, for a couple of minutes, shall we? Once Jesus was teaching people, uh, they asked him the exact question that I've just mentioned. Can, uh, and the question was Jesus said, Love your neighbor. Okay, that's where the golden rule comes from. And someone piped up, wait a minute, who do you mean by my neighbor? And their point seems to be exactly what I've just said. Do you mean people who are just in our gang, or do you mean people who are outside of our gang? Okay, we think of uh, neighbor geographically near to us. I think they were talking more ideologically near to us. Okay, and Jesus' response was a story, and it was one of his most famous stories, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And if you don't know that story or that parable, I recommend uh, you can read it. Very short, uh, concise summary of um, Jesus' feelings and his teachings on these sort of matters. Uh, But basically, I'm uh, I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to say two things it says. In that story, he does two things. He defines love, firstly, as a costly thing in the story. It costs. The hero of the story has to give up his time and his money and great inconvenience to show love to his neighbour. And secondly, most importantly, it defines our neighbour specifically as those outside of the gang. Not just love others and yeah, look after them a bit. No, love is most, uh, the the best example of love is we love those who don't have the same opinions of us, who don't in the same religious group as us. Uh, uh, Jews and Samaritans hated each other at that time. The hero of the story is a Samaritan and he's talking to Jewish people. This is Jesus' teaching consistently. Loving for Jesus meant forgiveness, forgiving those who hurt you, praying for those who persecuted you, and ultimately loving your enemies. Of course, this isn't just something that Jesus taught. It was something that Jesus lived. And we see that most clearly on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he put into practice in the most extreme way possible this whole idea. He did the most costly thing that he could possibly do, not just time and money, his whole life and the pain that went along with his crucifixion. And he did it to show love, for the, potentially for the very people who were killing him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Talking about the people who are actually killing him. So he taught this message and then he acted it out and lived it out. So Jesus then is a different kind of moral teacher to some of the ones I've mentioned already. Jesus taught what was good and what was bad, but he also lived it out pretty thoroughly. And actually, his claim was that he could provide motivation, supernaturally, this is another topic, we can go into the questions if you want, to do what is right through his example, yes, but even more through the power released through his death and resurrection. I'll return to one aspect of that before we close. So like I said, I can't speak for all religions, uh, but if you want to be more like this model of loving your neighbor, I think starting to look at Jesus and the worldview that he has started is a good way to start. I think there's a lot to be had there. I can say that personally. Many would say that personally as well, but that makes sense because the founder didn't just speak it. He did it as well in in the most fullest way. But to give us a full picture of this topic, as full as we can in this time, I want to, especially when we're considering Christian views, I want to just ask one last question, just to shift it very slightly, um, looking a bit deeper at Christianity, but also bring it up to date with the cultural conversation as well. Can we ask this question to to finish? I hope the questions are uh, are coming, uh, because there should be loads I've left spaces. Uh, Some of them I don't know the answers to, so you have to find those ones. But I reckon I'll I'll be alright. I'm looking at you guys. There's no problems here. (laughs) Okay, Uh, let's do the last question. Can we be good enough without God, can we be good enough without God? We have this general idea We want to be good, but actually, is there a good enough? Is there a standard involved here? Because in the Bible, it doesn't just encourage people to be generally good according to the kind of feelings of people who are around you. No, the Bible gives us a standard of goodness to aspire to. That is very, very important. That has huge ramifications in this life and in the next. If we don't meet that uh, standard, and the consistent message of the Bible is actually that we haven't met that standard. None of us have. We might believe in God. We might try to follow a religion's moral teachings. We might even have a PhD upon a PhD upon a postdoc in moral philosophy. But actually, according to the Bible, none of us are good enough. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a a large chunk of the New Testament, uh, a famous verse in in a letter he wrote to the church in Rome, uh, said, said this. He said, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have done wrong things, and they fall short of a standard of goodness that God himself, our creator, has set. The Christian God doesn't just define goodness. He values goodness, and he expects us to reach a very high standard. His standard, which is, uh, in that sense, moral perfection. In short, for the Bible, the question, how can I become a good person, is not just important in the way, does it help me to go to sleep feeling better at night? No, it has potentially eternal consequences, and it's not looking very good for us, would be the message of the Bible. I just want to freeze for a second, and I want you to clock what you think of that. There'd be loads of people in this room who would be Christians and say, yeah, yeah, I've heard this. I've gone into like, that bit where you listen without listening because I know what you're saying, Johnny. I would guess if you're not a Christian, and for some who are as well, you would be kicking against what I'm saying right now because that would be my experience uh, a number of times explaining that sort of message, which is pretty standard Christian theology. Uh, people would often kick against that because there is some con- controversial elements there. I mean, a common response would be this. That is incredibly harsh. How could any God set such high standards that would essentially be saying, you can live a completely good life over here, just do all the great stuff, but then one or two black marks over here, and uh, uh, trap door opens, end of story, bad news. You are judged unfavorably because of that. Traditionally, talking to people uh, uh, who wouldn't be Christians, a common view would be uh, more the, the scales approach uh, to morality, which would be, there's some religions, a doc would say, oh, a good person is someone who's done more good deeds than bad deeds. If you weighed them on a scale, you've done more right than wrong, and that's what makes people good. And for some, I've, I've seen they've rejected the Christian uh, message because of that. However... I find it strange speaking on this in 2018 because a really odd thing has happened, which has shown that our society lined up much more with the biblical view I've just said than the scales model that we all think that we use. I'll give you two examples. Uh, There's a number we could use, but the the moral moral tone in our country at the moment in discussion on Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, would be of this. I think the best example is, uh, I've got two. First is Oxfam. And you may remember, at the beginning of this year, uh, there was a scandal involving Oxfam. D- does, anyone, does anyone know what I'm talking about? You, yeah, I know what you're about to say here. So, most of us, not all of us. Okay, Oxfam, uh, at the beginning of 2018, it came to light that some of Oxfam's staff visited prostitutes while delivering aid in Haiti in 2011. I recognise some of you, if you're not from from England, Oxfam might not be so well. known. I think it is across the board, but not maybe as much. It's a a charity. quite an important charity in that way. But some of its staff had visited prostitutes while delivering aid in Haiti in 2011. Not just that, Oxfam themselves, in some senses, it seemed they'd sought to cover up that activity. And basically, when that came out, early 2018, there was a general outcry and a real blackening of the, the charity's name. Oxfam, for me, as I mentioned a minute ago, it's not just a charity. As someone grown up in England, in the 40s uh, old, uh, as in my life, it's not just a charity. Oxfam is the charity. I don't know if anyone else would think that. You think charity, you just see that logo in your head because they are the charity, one of the most most well-regarded uh, charities there are. These guys raise hundreds of millions of pounds for causes as laudable as women's rights, disaster relief, and education. It's for some of the poorest people on the planet. And they've done so for, for years and years. So I'd say, according to a scales view of judgment, uh, these guys would have some serious weight on the good deed side. Really, they'd probably, you'd think, well, you come on, look what they've done well, but that was certainly not enough for the 1,200 private donors who, within three days after the scandal broke, had uh, cancelled their direct debits to Oxfam. And judging the fact that by May, Oxfam had been forced to lay off 100 of its staff in the UK, which is 5% of its entire workforce, because of donations dropping so significantly, it appeared that it wasn't enough for many other people too. The general consensus appears to be that the weight on the positive side is irrelevant in many ways because of what's on the negative side, even though it might have been Possibly just one isolated incident in Oxfam's 65-year history suddenly finished. No longer, I'm going somewhere else uh, with my money for charity. I think this tells us something deep about how we perceive morality. And it's a little bit closer to the Bible's view that I think many people would be comfortable with. Let's bring this right up to date with an example. Not quite as good, but it happened last week, so good to throw it in. This very uh, day last week, on Sunday, um, we woke up to the news, I, th- I think it was right at the beginning of the day, that Brett Kavanaugh had been appointed uh, to the US Supreme Court. Again, for those who are American, that would be more a big deal than English people. But we, the, the news drips over here eventually, you know, it's, it's okay. and It affects us, these sort of things. Now, anyone who followed the story of Brett Kavanaugh would know that his appointment was not without controversy. Again, can I just have a, who would know who I'm talking about here? Okay, more, actually, interesting. So we do we, we, we were in touch with these sort of things. Um, and it's controversial, very controversial. It's because of Kavanagh's uh, alleged moral, moral deficiencies. Now, Brett Kavanaugh, I think pretty much everyone would be agreed that in his moral his adult life from about 20 this guy has tended to keep his nose clean it might not be the case I might have missed some things in the news in the last few days but generally it was no he's a he's a pretty upstanding member of the community family man uh, he enjoys running so he would probably I don't know enjoy is the right word for today but he'd love to be uh, in Birmingham today potentially and uh, he even helped out at the food kitchen to feed the homeless reasonably regularly as well this is a kind of I mean probably quite rich but if you can, can keep, not hold that against him um, he this is an upstanding guy as well where many people see goodness and things like that, okay? However, the allegation is that when he was 17 and drunk, he sexually uh, uh, assaulted a girl at a party. Now, I am definitely not going to wade into the moral complexities of this specific case and tell you this is right or this is wrong. All I'm going to say, it's very similar to the Oxfam story, surely the way it's been perceived in the media. Both scandals show us that many of us would think that however good your life is generally, actually there are things that you can do. Isolated black marks in a certain areas of transgression that are enough to cancel out all of that in one go. Now, let's, let's make a quick com- comparison just as we finish. Um, what Christianity would say is this, that God has such black marks too. But his are a little bit more catch-all than ours are. Things like, for God, rejecting your creator. Or living for yourself and not for others. The Bible would say, well, those things have potential to overshadow anything else you could do in your life regarding whether you're good enough. And could leave you condemned before your judge, the one who made you. So in a sense, the moral tone at the moment is a bit like Christianity, but I've got to move on very, very quickly to say that in a sense, though, it's not. Remember that first song we sung today uh, all about unfailing, what was it, unfailing? I I remember the songs. I I thought Esther and guys did a great job. It's imprinted on my mind. It's about unfailing grace, the song was about. It's grace. Grace is so important. That was unfair of me, I'm sorry. I sprung that on you too quickly. I think I was surprised because... I've just seen someone out the corner of my eye. It's very good. Um, the crucial difference between the Christian God and the moralizer of the early 21st century, I think, is this word, grace. Because when we find out in our society about a Harvey Weinstein or a Kevin Spacey or Oxfam or Brett Kavanaugh, which he alleged to have done, that's it. They're done. They're finished. They're completely blacklisted, and they are never coming back. Okay? The God of the Bible is very different. He maintains incredibly high moral standards, but he also gives those who fall short of them the opportunity to receive his grace. Can you see, I think something in those stories for me is like, there's something good about these conversations about Oxfam and that. We've got high moral standards. We expect people to do things right. The problem is when it becomes very pointed at individual things and very kind of uh, shouty and judgmental, because we're like, well, wait a minute... There must be some grace here. Well, the God of the Bible has both things. He incredibly, has an incredibly high standard, and he shows grace. Because the death of Jesus wasn't just an example of how to be good. It wasn't just an act to kind of follow an example. No, it's done to actually bring forgiveness because we'd not been good enough. And the forgiveness that he gives then can set up a moral foundation that enables us then to step forward with the motivation to live as good people. If you're weighed down with guilt and shame, you're not going to be able to say, well, I'm going to now do the right thing, because you're already burned down too much. Well, Jesus' death on the cross, the forgiveness and the grace he offers, is the perfect foundation, I would believe, to becoming a good person. So please don't mishear me, as we do finish now. Uh, I don't think any of us will ever be perfect in this life. We'll hear from Paul in a minute, though. He might buck the trend on that one with the moral philosophy stuff. But no, I don't think any of us will be perfect. Uh, In a very real way, we will never actually be good enough, I don't think. But the desire to be a good person, I think, is a really, really good desire and one which we can see considerable success in in this life. But I think we'll need God's help uh, to do that. And I think that through Jesus, he gives us that help in the best way that he possibly could.